Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jordan. How was your weekend? It was really, really good. I'm watching Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and it finally got good. <laughs> I am so ecstatic. Oh, that's awesome. I, I have to confess, I haven't seen any of that, yeah. but uh, I, yeah. I might, uh, now that it's gotten good in your estimation, yeah. I might have to check it out. I'd recommend skipping all the way to episode six, then it starts to get good. So, <laughs> oh, there you, know. you go. Okay, so we'll dive right in today. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a big portion from James rounding out chapter two. This is James 2, 18 through 26. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, so on Sunday, you paraphrased something James said there and said that belief in God puts you on par with demons. Yeah. So in other words, demons believe that God is sovereign, but they don't act upon it by doing good. So someone who claims to believe in God, but does no good deeds, is no better than a demon. That's pretty pretty provocative for, for James to say. What, what kind of person or theology do you think he's speaking to here? Well, so I think that there is a pervasive idea that believing in God is enough, that I believe there is a God. I believe there is some sort of creator, designer, sustainer, um, and that belief in some generic deity is enough to earn you eternal life. And and frankly, the, the Bible is clear that it's just not the case. I was so struck, particularly as you go through the Gospel of Mark, so struck by the fact that the entity that knew who Jesus was were the demonic. Yeah. Um, they knew exactly who he was. And so, and what's interesting is James even says, you believe that God is one. So that harkens back to the Shema, yeah. which is which is central in Judaism. You wake up in the morning, you recite the Shema. You go to bed at night, you recite the Shema. There are other times you recite the Shema, and the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Remember, Lord is Yahweh. It's a proper name. So Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. And the demons are here affirming the Shema, that God is one. The difference, though, is that the demons do not submit themselves to the lordship of Almighty God. They do not submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that's really the question of faith. It's not, do I believe that God exists? That's step one. Of course, we have to believe that God exists, 
But there are subsequent steps. There's, there's recognizing that God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Recognizing that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that by faith in Christ alone might we have everlasting life. And so, yeah, the demons believe some very, very biblical things about God, and yet they are damned. So how does that happen? Well, there is no surrender to Jesus. There is no submission to Jesus. There is only warring against him. And so I think that's where we have to be careful because I'll be honest with you, I'm at the funeral home a lot. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, particularly in this region, I hear this person believed in God. This person believed in Jesus. What does that mean? And I think for our listeners and for the two of us, even for Elliot over here, our sound engineer, it's true for all of us that we need to examine ourselves and say, is my belief in God simply an assertion that God exists? Well, the demons believe God exists. In fact, they know. They've seen him. Uh, Is my assertion uh, or is my faith simply an assertion that Jesus exists? Well, the demons believe that Jesus exists. They knew exactly who he was when he showed up. Is my faith a submission, a surrender to the Lordship of Almighty God in my life? That's a different question. And so I would encourage us to just examine our hearts and say, am, am I clinging to, a, to a, an affirmation of existence or am I clinging to a surrender of my will to Almighty God through Jesus Christ? Yeah. I don't know that James has this in mind, but there's another passage in the prophets where it says, in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Mm-hmm. So there's an idea in Judaism that, you know, God is one. He already is one. So why is the, why are the prophets saying that he will be one? The idea is that it, at the end when, you know, Christ is reigning, then all will be well and God will be seen as it were, like his majesty will be understood. Right. And, you know, here we have the demons almost referring to that. They're like, it's not time yet. It's not time for you to come and punish us, Jesus. What are you doing? That's right. So even they have that faith that there will be judgment. They just don't act upon it. Well, and and you make such a great point because they know that it's coming. They are in their stay of execution. Satan is in his stay of execution. Um, And and remember, demons are not like God. Satan is not like God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He can do all things. Uh, Satan is not omniscient. And so these demons, though they may have a greater understanding than what we are able to understand because they function in the spiritual realm, um, they are not omniscient. And so they don't know (laughs) when Christ will return, for example. Mm. They don't know when their judgment will be sealed. All they know is that their time is limited and they want to do as much destruction as they can during the time that they have. So I think that passage kind of helps understand what James is saying in the the reading that we read today. So it's that, of course, works go with faith. Of course, you should be acting upon it because God has called us to be good. That's right. Yeah. So that helps us understand this passage from James. But I honestly, sometimes I get kind of confused when I look at similar passages from Paul and put them up next to each other. Um, And I'm a lot of other people have, a lot of other scholars and theologians have put Paul and James next to each other and found that they're not easy to read next to each other, or they seem to be against each other even. So in this passage, James is quoting Genesis 15, 6. So he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So James is essentially saying that Abraham's work 
of offering Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22 is fulfilling this verse. So his, his righteousness is sealed, as it were, by offering up Isaac. But then separately, Paul in other letters like Galatians and Romans seems to use the same verse to argue something else, that Abraham's righteousness came before his works. So before offering up Isaac, and even before his own circumcision, he was righteous because he had faith in God that he would keep his promises. That seems to be the reading. Can you kind of help work through that? Like, what what is Paul trying to say? So, yeah, just noting that when you hold those two up against one another, so you hold Romans 4 up against James 2, and you read it at a very surface level, you say, well, there it is. The Bible's contradicting itself. See, we can't trust this book. Well, that's where it's important to understand the context, and it's it's important to understand where the authors are coming from as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's even important to understand some of the original language. The the word that both of them use that is translated justified, uh, whereas Paul would say, no one will be justified in God's sight by works, Um, and James would say, in this case, Abraham was justified by his works. Well, the word in the original language in which they wrote, Greek, is dikaio, and dikaio can mean to show to be righteous or to declare righteous. Well, those are two very different things. So to be justified by God in salvation means that because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave, all those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus are declared to be justified by God. And and if you just heard that that (laughs) pounding of my hand into my other hand, um, it's because I picture a gavel every time. It's the judge hitting the bench with the gavel to say, here is my ruling, that when I come to Christ in repentance and faith, giving my life to him, uh, God makes a declaration. He declares me to be justified by the righteousness of Christ. He imputes the righteousness of Jesus to me. Where James is using the word justified is he is saying, that Abraham's actions illustrated his faith. It showed that he was justified. And what's interesting, Paul talks about Genesis chapter 15. Uh, He talks about this this sealing of the covenant with Almighty God uh, between Abraham and God. Uh, He talks about how God sealed the covenant. He swore by himself. Um, The sign of the covenant was circumcision. But again, that was an outward marking indicating the condition of his heart. I think James goes to Genesis 22, which is the sacrifice of Isaac. It's a different it's a different setting, it's a different part of the story, but what you're seeing again is an outward expression of a heart that's been marked. Yeah. And so I think James and Paul are coming at the same idea just from different angles. So Paul is coming at it from the notion of a lost person who is looking for justification. Well, you can't work your way into heaven. I can't work my way into heaven. The Bible says that my good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. So Paul is coming at it from the perspective of someone who is not in Christ, someone who has not placed his faith in Christ, whereas I think James is coming at it from the perspective of observing the life of one who has placed faith in Christ, who has placed faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So just as Abraham illustrated his faith by his action, just as Rahab illustrated her faith by her action, the faith that we have comes out. 
And I think that that's, that's kind of where um, it would be easy to take a very surface reading of these two texts, and then you throw in Galatians as well, um, and say, well, they're, they're teaching different doctrines. And, and great theologians have struggled with this. I mean, when, when Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, when he translated the New Testament into German, in his translation, he put James in the appendix. Yeah. He did not like it. But you got to understand, he's coming out of a, a context in which he's breaking away from Roman Catholicism, which has this, this dual... Um, sense of salvation insofar as not only must you be motivated by faith, but you must have the works of the sacraments that are performed for you. You've got to go through these certain sacraments to be saved. And Martin Luther is saying, no, I don't want any part of works-based salvation. That is not what the Bible teaches, and I would agree with that. But what James is saying is not that we are saved by the works, even though it says we are justified by works, but but but. What I think he's saying is the works illustrate the justification that God has given us in Jesus Christ. The way you put that is really insightful. That makes a lot more sense to me. It, it and it makes sense more when you read a little bit more of Romans. I think. Yeah. Like I'm I'm looking farther down in the chapter than where he cites Genesis. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So Paul's making the point that Abraham wasn't even circumcised at this point. In other words, Abraham had faith in God at this point, and he was justified by that faith. So if you just came to faith, like you're talking about, Jeff, if you're just coming to faith and you're a Gentile, you're presented with the question of, how do I live the right life? Mm -hmm. There was an option. Well, you could become circumcised, become Jewish, take on the Torah, and live life that way. And some people were saying, that's how you live as a good Christian. But Paul's saying, no, that's not the case. Right. As a Gentile, you can be saved without becoming Jewish. That's right. Abraham was, you know, at this point, righteous before he was even circumcised. That's right. Well, and if you think about James, when, the, when this first conflict arose within the church, you go back to Acts chapter 15 in Jerusalem Council. Yep. James is the one who issues the final judgment that, no, new believers don't have to be circumcised. And so... James is, is not teaching a works-based salvation. He is teaching a salvation that results in works. Wow. Paul is teaching not a works-based salvation, but rather a salvation that results in works. So our faith expresses itself. And, you know, again, I always uh, I feel like I continue to return to Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then we forget about 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, again, you have James, who in Acts 15 would say, no, these Gentile believers don't have to be circumcised. But here, in his letter, would say, yes, your faith ought to produce works, and if your faith does not produce works, then your faith is dead. And then you have Paul, who would likewise affirm that circumcision is not necessary for salvation, but when he leads Timothy to Christ, guess what he does with Timothy? He circumcises Timothy because that's going to be helpful as they carry out the ministry to which they're being called to go into these synagogues and proclaim Christ. He didn't want to have a barrier there uh, to the gospel. So... You know, you can look at elements of both of these men's lives to see that, yeah, they're 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 coming at it 
from different perspectives, but they're speaking the same truth. It really is on my heart to take James and Paul and understand each of them and what they're trying to say, who they're writing to, what message they're conveying, because both of them are conveying the gospel of Jesus. Both of them are conveying the teachings and the words of eternal life, and I it breaks my heart that they've been read in opposition to each other and that people think that they didn't get along and that there was, I don't know, rebellion against each other. That that just breaks my heart to think of that. So when we can take these letters, when we can take Acts and read the narrative and understand them working together, it makes the Bible more real and the the unity of the body more real to me. Yeah, and and, and what's so beautiful is they are seeking to understand the faith, and they might debate with one another. Yeah. They might have a disagreement along the way, but it is within the context of seeking to trust and follow Jesus as he has called them to do so. And they're brothers, and they're working together, laboring alongside one another, writing to different audiences at this time, writing at different times, coming at the same issue just from different angles, and I think that that's helpful for us to see. It is not irreconcilable uh, to put James and Paul next to each other for, again, I go back to, to Acts chapter 15, and Peter spoke, and then Barnabas and Paul spoke, and then after they got done speaking, that's when James spoke up, and he spoke in agreement with them. And so that's, um, I think, instructive for all of us today as well. So this discussion of works takes us into the listener question for today. So listeners, if you have a question about Sunday sermon or about the Christian walk in general, just submit it using the link in the show description. So today's question is, I'm physically disabled, so doing good works is often a challenge for me. Will this hinder the treasures I'm storing in heaven? What can I do to compensate for my handicap? My goodness, what a question from such a beautiful heart. I think that God's heart for any person who struggles with any sort of physical disability um, would be for them to know just how very wonderful they are, just how very loved they are. Um, But I want to answer the question by saying that all of us have different gifts and talents and abilities and resources. So what if I were to say, I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not even a millionaire. And there's so much good that can be done with money, but I don't have that money. Am I somehow limited in my ability to serve God? Or I'm not a singer. I'm not, you know, I can can lead at Vespers. Those who attend Vespers know what I'm talking about, but I'm not on a microphone at Vespers. Um, And if they don't sing along, you know, I'm going to get really quiet really quickly. Um, But the fact that I'm not given that gift um, doesn't mean that I'm in any way less than. And for a person who has a physical disability, uh, they are in no way less than someone who has different gifts. You know, I love it that in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul likens um, the body of Christ to the physical body. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And listen to this. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then later on in that chapter, he said, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And he goes on to say that the, the different parts of the body, continuing with this physical body analogy, um, we can't look at one another and say, well, you're not as important as me, or you don't function uh, in, in as great uh, a way as I do. And I would say to this listener, God has given you gifts and talents and abilities and resources. We may share some of those, but you may have things that I don't have. And I may have things that you don't have, but that doesn't mean either one of us is better, and it doesn't mean either one of us is worse. It means that God, in putting together this, this, this beautiful tapestry of the body of Christ, has strategically said, here's what I'm going to give to this individual, here's what I'm going to give to this individual, and my job is simply to be a faithful steward of that which he's entrusted to me. So for me... Um, I do a lot of talking. That's that's the gift that, that God has given me. Uh, I don't do a lot of instrumental playing. I don't do a lot of singing. You know, I can fix some things, but, you know, you don't want me rebuilding your house. I mean, there, sure. there's so many things that I can't do, and there's some things that I can do. So my job is to be the best steward I can possibly be, empowered by God's Spirit, of the gifts, talents, abilities, and resources that he's entrusted to my care. So I love this listener's heart, and I don't want them to feel in any way less than. No, God loves you. God uh, is using you. And part of the way that God is using you even in this moment is the fact that you ask this question, because I promise you're not the only one who's asked and wondered about this. Amen. Jeff, thank you for uh, these answers today. Thank you for helping us bring Paul and James closer together in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, and thank you for answering uh, our listener question. That's something that all of us really can take to heart. Mm-hmm. Do you mind praying us out today? I would love to. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be the sort of people who are so filled with faith. Or do you tell us even our faith is a gift? And so, Lord, we come to you humbly seeking uh, even more faith that you would empower us, equip us, and help us trust you even more. But Lord, as we trust you, help us also to follow you. Um, Lord, I'm struck that your call to every disciple you ever called was, follow me. And in order to follow you, we first have to believe you. We first have to trust you, and then we follow. But following follows. And so, Lord, help us to understand that it is not by our works that we are saved, It is solely by your grace, but your grace compels us to move, to act in ways that glorify you and bless those around us. So, Lord, we do pray that you would bless us, 
that we might be a blessing to everyone we meet today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.